0: Hello and welcome to Series 5, Episode 10 of the Canny Conversations podcast, powered by the Pathway Group. My name's Mark Wakeley, and I'm one of the team who bring you these podcasts each week. In this series, Saf will be talking to some of the business people he's met and worked with in his 23 years at the heart of the West Midlands business community. This week Safraz continues his conversation with Paul Eels, the CEO of Skills and Education Group. We'll be hearing how Paul has dedicated his career to championing skills, education, and social mobility. He shares insights from his varied professional journey from starting as a chef to leading a large organization in the further education sector. Paul and Safraz also talk about some of the key issues facing further education today. They discuss the challenges of acquiring and integrating organisations, the importance of careers advice for young people and the competitive awarding organisation marketplace. Paul stresses the need for a coordinated skills system that meets the diverse needs for learners and employers. He advocates for policy that look at the bigger picture rather than short-term initiatives. At its core, Paul believes education is about empowering individuals and transforming lives. He calls on all of us to make a positive difference through our work. This conversation also provides an enlightening perspective on leadership, change, and purpose. So let's rejoin Safraz and Paul.
1: So talking a little bit about hospitality, I said I was going to move on, but I, I you know, hospitality has gone through a tough time. Yeah, it it, it really has gone through a tough time. And I think All our focus. I mean, we've taken it for granted for many, many years. Nobody's really spoken about hospitality until we've had the COVID issue and and so forth. And I think it's come to the top of our minds in terms of hospitality, some of the logistics element of it, some of the retail and health and social care as well. So these there's about four or five sectors that you know we've been a little bit more aware of, more conscious of in terms of you know the contribution that we have. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts. I mean, you must you may have friends and you may have colleagues, you may have you know, family members who are in that area, but your family business, you know, started, you know, was in that area. So you've got a lot of lot of warmth for it in your heart is there. So talk to us a little bit about how you felt during that COVID period and, and how you feel about that sector and a little bit about your thoughts.
2: It's an important industry, and I think you know, particularly uh, us purchasing BIIAB, well, the awarding body for the sector, and being a trustee of BII, and being involved in a lot of the membership organisations across the hospitality sector, and picking up with people. I think COVID, COVID was really, really challenging, and for the hospitality industry for all sorts of reasons, and some sadly didn't make it through in terms of businesses but lots did and and i think everybody was looking to the when things get back to normal when that movement through and i think we had a lull in the challenges as we came out of covid into the new world and then all of a sudden the cost of living crisis hit and we and i think we often think about cost of living crisis as hitting us as individuals as in our families yeah more than actually businesses. And I think the the real challenge that the hospitality industry had linked to Brexit, you know, acquiring staff into the business because all of a sudden we weren't able to take migrant workers, you know, and all of that goes with that. Then there, there is the cost of living crisis that individuals and families are having. So people are eating out and drinking less. Then... Those businesses, faced with less customers spending less, actually have to spend more on their heating, lighting, the rents that they're paying for for their premises, the gas, electric, heating. So the, the industry has been hit by a completely perfect storm. Then we have interest rates going up. So there's so many challenges that the hospitality industry have. And I think as a country, we are very much a service sector industry. You talked about care. You talked about other sectors. If those industries aren't thriving, then it has such a challenging impact on the rest of UK PLC. I think people are really struggling with coming out of COVID and then all of those things on top. And the challenges that we have. So I think the the industry is really, really suffering. They're making the best they can of it. But some of the circumstances they've got to deal with are some really high jumps that they've got to go through. And some of them aren't making it through. Others are getting through by the skin of the teeth. And I think that's some of the real challenges that the hospitality industry in particular are facing.
1: Paul, you're you're a you're a change maker you know you're a leader you you know you're an innovator you you know you talk about uh, passing the baton on you've talked about responsibility taking the baton as well and you've led effective change you've seen an opportunity uh, as the ceo of an organization and you've acquired another organization in difficult difficulties are particularly coming from a background in terms of being the ceo of a charitable organization may acquiring another organisation, maybe in a slightly different brand, the responsibilities, the burden of that, the cultures as well. And then how do you sort of effectively lead that change and grow the
2: organisations, really? The most important aspect of our business is the people that work in it. And that is challenging in the sense of, you know, culture is hard won. Getting the right culture, getting the right attitudes, etc. And you can see when you acquire organizations into a group whether it's adding one to one or adding one into three that does take time it takes a lot of time getting to the way we do things around here the way things are important it is challenging because actually we're nothing without our people we're absolutely nothing without our people and it is like playing jenga sometimes when you've Mm. added things or taking things away and moving things and it's not that the thing will crash down but actually, you can see that people are working at pace in a way that requires a lot of time, effort and energy from people. So the people bit requires lots of time, effort and energy. And probably the thing I spend a lot of my time working on. What was the culture
1: of uh, BII and you know how did that fit in and and how did you sort of incorporate it to make it? One entity. I yeah. know it's got its own identity as well, but how did you make
2: it into, yeah. into um, one group and one entity? So within Skills and Education Group, we have four organisations, four organisations stroke brands. So all four Skills and Education Group, Skills and Education Group Awards, Skills and Education Group Access, and BIIAB are all separate organisations, three charities and one for profit organisation. But we weren't run it through one single organisational structure which helps us develop the the culture piece. And we didn't have a huge amount of staff. It just happened to be at the stage in its life, there weren't a huge amount of people coming over from BIIAB into us. And actually the first staff survey we did was really good. You know, there's some really great stuff they felt integrated in, which worked really well. And I think that single structure has helped us to this point, but we're, We're not huge in turnover terms. We're growing. We've doubled in the last three years. We'll grow by another quarter again in the next year. So we're of the right size to be able to have a single structure. The bit as we grow next is, will we be able to continue to do that? So I think that's kind of the focus we've had. Okay,
1: delving a little bit more in terms of the entities themselves. You know, you've got the access to HE part of it. Obviously, something that you know you're familiar with. Obviously, you as are a mature student, as you mentioned earlier on. So, what does that do? What does that organisation do?
2: So, Skills and Education Group Access, access. which was a, an organisation that we acquired, called Certa, former Open college network in yorkshire and humber there's a number of them around the country that were all open college networks in particular geographical areas and we acquired that 17 days before it was due to um okay. going to an administration okay. and we revived it and it's focused on uh, qaa uh, regulated uh, access to he diplomas for adults that are wanting to go to university a bit like F- me really.
1: fits in with what yeah. you know, with yourself and so forth Okay, that's sort of a niche area. It's got a name out there. There's more and more people who are going into education and need to sort of access courses like Google and 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 Platform. So... In terms of the other awarding organisation element of it, what's the remit there, the specialisms there, the work that you do in terms of... So as I
2: said, BIIAB is focused on hospitality. It does other things like care and um, administration and various bits and yeah. pieces, but it primarily focuses hospitality. Yeah, And so we won't be changing the brand. Yeah. Skills and Education Group Awards was originally called ABC Awards, which okay. is an awarding body consortium of us as an organization and two or three others which we acquired a year after i joined it as i joined what was then called mfec and it's a generalist awarding organization awards qualifications in 16 sectors motor vehicle counseling fabrication welding etc. etc. fashion textiles uh we do what's called mot annual assessment so mot testers for cars in this country are have to be qualified okay. and they have to do an annual assessment so we have just over half the market in that sector okay passenger transport qualifications that we do so we do a whole range of different qualifications and sectors and that's as i say a generalist awarding organization okay
1: and you're also an endpoint assessment yes
2: in about 39 sectors in both the skills and education group awards and biab we took all the heritage brands out of the market so it's all skills and education group something or other in order to connect to our Focus of championing and supporting uh, social mobility.
1: So uh, skills and education, and whatever the the specialism is, or whatever the area is. However, you're very clear that BII is not changing its name. No, absolutely. So, no. so is that because it's got a very it's got a very strong brand? It has. There's been. no doubt. You know, there's no doubt. You know, there's a lot of people who recognise that immediately. And it's been going for years and years. I mean, obviously the others are as well, but the identity is, is very strong. You were a fellow of, of that many, many years ago. You're associated with that with that organization. Where's the, the thinking there in terms of keeping the identity of that uh, separately alongside the other names?
2: BIIAB has a particular, as you rightly say, Resonance in the pub sector, but increasingly in the hospitality, the wider hospitality sector, and that's where we want its focus to be. Skills and Education Group Awards, whilst it's diversified and been generalist, it has a much broader FE resonance, uh, which is why we wanted to align it with the overall branding of the group. BIIAB is what it says on the tin it's focused on the hospitality sector and if you change the name you're you're messing with what that industry is about and it's much more commercial it's much more focused on a, uh, an industry and a sector
1: no and I, no, I get that i think that name you know particularly for with the, with the legacy that he has got he has got it's a very very yeah. strong
2: identity another awarding organizations and have done similar um, you know NCFE bought yeah. a, a leisure Ao recently and they're not uh, as far as I know I don't know they may be but they've not changed it either so I think it's about what's right in different sectors what are you trying to achieve for us BIIAB adds to our advancement of skills and education to improve the lives of individuals in that sector which is our mission but it also aligns to helping us put surpluses and generated surpluses into championing and supporting social mobility
1: putting you a little bit on the spot, so if if it was an elevator pitch for the organisation, how would you describe the organisation?
2: Skills in Education, okay. The elevator pitch is effectively we are focused on the advancement of skills in education to improve the lives of individuals. That's our overall banner, and we do three things. We champion, support, social mobility, we support the development of the FE and skills workforce, and we award qualifications and input assessment.
1: Fantastic. you obviously well rehearsed there <laughs> yeah being being part of the debating society as well and, and uh, obviously being a speaker of uh, many many occasions as well whilst doing my little bit of research we, we came across the skills and education impact report that you mm-hmm. did and and uh, it's a it's a lovely lovely document very colorful a lot of charts and a lot of graphs and a lot of insights there and it's a, it's a very good read. So talk to us a little bit about the need that you had in terms of putting all of that in because it's not a five-minute job there. <laughs> you know, there's no way that you know there's a lot of effort that's gone in, you know, a lot of work that's gone in. And it's there's something there for everybody, you know, whether you know you're interested in terms of your organization specifically or whether you're interested in terms of skills, in terms of the UK, or where the trends are, the marketplace are. And and so talk to us a little bit about the uh, the findings from the report, how that that came about, and what's your thoughts on it in terms of the impact report?
2: I think we what we wanted to do is tell a story, ultimately about who we are as an organisation, but equally about the things we do, and the impact that we have, and our members have, and our centres have through the work that they do. This is about very much telling a story and actually putting something out there that says. This is what happens in our sector through the lens of us as an organization that says actually FE and skills makes a difference. I'm not sure when I listen to government talk about policy, they actually get, understand, or care about the transformational difference, whether it's an independent provider or a college, make. On the life chances of young people and adults, and so where we've got to with our impact report is saying, in our little small corner, there's a little bit of contribution here that is about that. Why are we doing things like podcasts? Why are we telling people stories? Mamalo Atisian, uh, who was at our conference and one of our award winners, her story is in our impact report because actually we want to tell stories about the difference that FE and Skills makes happens to be our centres, happens to be our members. But that's what we want to do, and that's why we're telling those stories. Paul, absolutely uh,
1: fantastic to, to read that document as well. I mean, I, I took out so many sort of points, and I was le- reading, I mean, I had two perspectives, and I always have. One, obviously, in terms of getting to know the organisation more and understanding in terms of what what it's about, but also in terms of what can we do you know, separately in terms of our organisation, just in terms of, you know, being curious and learning. And I think there's there's many, many takeaways. And,
2: and, it's, and it's also about highlighting things. We use our national conference. Yeah. Um, what are the things that are important to the sector? We have an annual conference, we're a membership body, but we're not the Association of Colleges. We're not the Association of Employment and Learning Providers. And we don't profess to be. We profess to be who we are doing the things that we do. As I say, the workforce is particularly important. So one of the things that was very clear is that they're struggling with the issue of LGBT plus Q and trans issues. But actually, they're wanting us to provide some leadership in actually saying, here are role models here are th- some of the challenges and uh, issues so we've highlighted Jake and Hannah Graf, who spoke at our conference last year and actually the work that they're doing as a trans couple um, and actually helping to inspire the workforce within our membership and beyond around how do they address things like that we've Tackle issues of um, race and equality and um, and it's important that an organization like us does that without fear or favor to actually say here we are these are important issues of the day and providing the professional development and support to the workforce in order to help them make a difference to the learners in their institutions. Paul you are a beacon of
1: leadership within the sector and you you're one of the most connected, if not the the most connected person within within the sector, and you're a friend to, to no, no, absolutely. You're, you're a friend to all, and you're a critical friend to many as well. In terms of uh, the sector itself, you know, it's going through its challenges. You know, funding is one. There's a, you know a lot more competition as well. You know, you've got awarding organisations looking at their identity. You've got independent training providers, learning providers, uh, who you know with the swift of change of funding, you know, and the, the funding podcast is getting smaller and smaller. You've got a lot of awarding organizations looking in completely in terms of commercial, more and more commercial, more international elements of it and, and those sort of changes. So in a nutshell, in terms of some of the challenges within the, I'll call it the further education, the uh, independent learning provider or independent uh, space, as well as the, awarding organisation space, in a nutshell, what are the some of the conversations that if you and I weren't doing this podcast and we're having a dinner table conversation and you you were having your uh, palate and I was having my balti dish, what would we be discussing? And I'd be having my
2: chicken dish. <laughs> yes, <tips>. yes, that's <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, like that. What would we That'd be discussing? Be right. <laughs> um, I'll have you bread. I like naan okay, bread. You like yeah, naan yeah, naan <laughs> right. um, funding has to be there, doesn't it? But I think the thing that concerns me more than funding, funding has ever been ever thus. I think it's critical right now i think it is you know particularly critical and challenging in the sector be it independent providers or colleges being able to attract the right workforce and have the right level of resources so funding will obviously be there i think the thing that concerns me more than anything is we've got policy is driven by program changes so for instance t levels or apprenticeships or whatever it might be. It's driven by a whole range of project initiatives, IOTs, important, though they are. Some great initiatives. So colleges and providers are running after pots of money because they need the pots of money because of the crisis in funding. But we're focused on lots of initiatives and we're not mainstreaming any of those and putting those into the rate inevitably then has an impact. And, Government policy is focused around, as I say, those programs, rather than looking at system changes that is actually focused on what do we want out of the system? The A-level conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. that came out last week yeah. from Rishi Sunak. Yeah. Should we be looking at it? Well, possibly, but we've then engenders a conversation about do we need GCSEs as well? Um but nobody's nobody talked about GCSEs last week (laughs) it's prerequisited on because it's in isolation what about all those learners that don't get their requisite GCSEs that go into colleges or apprenticeships or whatever it might be and therefore I think we need policy that steps back and looks at the system and enables independent providers and colleges and all the rest of it the flotilla of boats and ships that actually can make the difference and freed up within a system that is funded appropriately to enable those providers and colleges meet the needs of the learners and the employers for which they serve.
1: Well, let's try and unpack some of this because I think you've said uh, a lot of profound stuff there and uh, try and dissect some of this. So talk a little bit about the, the challenges, and I will pick a little bit about each area, some of the challenges within the higher education space. You know, you've got your access courses that you're doing. Um, there's still a lot of people that want that degree, that want to get into that, you know, you know whether it's individuals early in their career, in terms of af- after A-levels, or whether it's people who are uh, mature students and getting back in. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of individuals, particularly, you know, who may or not have been born and bred in the UK, when they, they come over, their aspiration is to get that degree from a UK-based institution. So what's your thoughts in terms of the higher education space uh, and what, what's going on within that space? Because a couple of years back, you know, the, the government spoke about they're not going to fund any degree courses that are sort of Mickey Mouse, in quote, quote that, that may not lead to much. And, and then there's a space, the fact that is... There's fee that they're charging worth it and there's a lot of negativity as well and that space is, is there's conversations going on fairly regularly within the higher education space any thoughts there that we talk about colleges and maybe um, independent well, I was,
2: I was going to yes. say uh, can, I, can we tackle it from a slightly different perspective because yeah. I think we're fixated on how many people go to university I, spe- I suspect it goes back to a Tony Blair 50% yeah, 50, 50. yeah 50% we're fixated on it's a degree is it applied general is it an apprenticeship is it one of those things but we're not fixing the problem that says how are we inspiring young people when they make decisions okay. about what they're going to do when they leave school where is it? it's about it's like careers, careers advice, advice
1: and guidance which you've not had or nor have i had because we're no. not you know you've had an inspirational lecturer, oh, I inspirational lecturer that said you know what yeah, look, look at this and yeah.
2: so forth. You know, I, I mean, this, when I say I did, it yeah. was the stuff I had at school, which was yeah. I want to be a chef, I want to be a waiter within the cartoon strip that I had.
1: You made your decision based on a brochure. You thought, you know what, this is for me because you were quite clearly in, yeah. in your mind. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, but I think for me, there is a, the very much around saying, we need to get careers advice and guidance right. We need to ensure that young people and adults, as well as you know those later down the line, Wherever they land up at sixteen, in terms of the outcome that they've got, and there's a lot of work we need to do around that, but that's a story perhaps for another day. I think we need to be really clear that helps them understand what options there are open to them. I think my experience, and uh, I was listening to one of your podcasts where you were interviewed and your background. You know, there's plenty of us that are not fitting into a stereotypical and I don't think it is stereotypical, actually, of the you go to school, you get your GCSEs, you go and do your A-levels, you go to university. There's a percentage of the population that do that. That percentage of that population are the people that are doing policy in the education and training space. So they don't get and don't understand necessarily. Now, some of them are trying really hard to understand. But we need a system that says everybody has good Impartial advice and guidance enables them to actually decide whether they're going to college, whether they're going to into an apprenticeship, going to university. Is going to university gold standard for some people? It will be, uh, but is that the only route? You know, you've, you've read out my own CV. You know, I ended up going to university at the age of 24, and that for me was at exactly the right time. We are fixated on whether what's right, what's good, what's the best, what's the... Actually, it depends on us as individuals where we are. Our life's journey to this point, we should actually be enabling people to take any route at any time and supporting them through that. That hasn't answered your question. I appreciate it. Uh, no, no,
1: I, I, I think you've, you've shared a lot there and a lot for us to sort of chew on and think about. I mean, it's a sort of closing questions now, really, more than anything else. In in terms of some of the challenges within the awarding body space, because there's a, you know, we've had a raft of new awarding organizations coming in, you know, looking at niche, niche sort of areas. We've had uh, a lot of acquisitions taking place, mergers taking place. In some cases... The brand identity is remaining, like you mentioned earlier on. In other cases, less and less awarding sort of brand names are out there. It's a competitive marketplace. You wouldn't think it's uh, it's as competitive as what it is. It's a very competitive marketplace. Endpoint assessments again a very competitive marketplace. And the whole sector there's a lot of push and pull going on. So to talk to us a little about the the space that you're in, and and then if you can bring in a little bit about, and if it's if you're okay to share, some of the future aspirations for the Skills Education Group. Then I'm going to ask a sort of a final question a little bit about your personal uh, aspirations as as an individual. And again, you know, in terms of some of the work that you want to sort of achieve
2: on a personal level as well. Yes, it is a competitive market out there in the awarding work body space. Actually, there's more of us that collaborate through the Federation of Awarding Bodies, similar to AOC and AELP. It's part of the sector that is really, I don't think, well understood. I would describe it as in, if we're going to give the hospitality analogy, the providers are the front of house and um, the awarding organisations are in the back of house, in the kitchen, as it were. And they're critical to the space. I think the concern that is there around current government policy, and you'll have seen the advocates for not pushing back on level three applied general mm. and level two reforms aoc aelp are advocating around that so there are some challenges for awarding organizations as no no more than anybody else i'm quite happy with where we are because i think we can ride most of that storm and challenge that is coming others won't so well but brand uh when a few years ago there was a a lot of government policy around taking additionality out in uh, 10 years or so ago uh, additional level one level two qualifications from a full qualification in study programs and, and that sort of thing and people talked about the demise of the awarding body sector in the at that point and that didn't happen lots of them innovated endpoint assessment came along so we're looking we've got a, an interesting government policy here so we've got T-levels and level two and level three, let's reduce the market. Apprenticeships and endpoint assessment, a thousand blossoms can bloom. There's some competing policy approaches that don't quite, sit and what i think awarding organizations and the vast majority of them are charities you know we're in collectively in the top 15 by size wise as a group uh not individually but if you add it all together we're in the top 15 off qual by size if you look at those for in the top 20 the vast majority two-thirds from the top of my head are um charities so they're finding ways to innovate and move forward I'm probably less pessimistic than others, but I think it is a challenge.
1: And in terms of your good self, you know, you talk about, again, this. I love this baton thing, you know, passing the baton and holding the baton and the responsibility of it. These multiple hats that we keep talking about, uh, you know, you talk about being, you know, uh, obviously you're a group CEO of an SME organization with these different cultures and so forth. Uh, You've got that, you've got all the other different things that you're doing. What's next for for yourself for, your for
2: me yeah um, I don't know well I think I said earlier yeah. <laughs> I, you look at my CV and, and it, did, <laughs> it wouldn't exactly look planned would yeah. it I'm at a stage in my life where I am not that in that my career is all you know it's all forward what's the next thing um, I'm not sure I thought I would be here as long as I've been at Skills and Education Group I have a fantastic board I have three boards three chairs they <laughs> A dream to work with Challenging I suspect I'll walk out of here And it'll be Not quite the dream But I And I jest They are They're enabling me To Develop And Skills and education group And we work really well together So I'm excited For where we get This organisation to By the end of this decade That's where My focus is on Getting this organisation To the end of the decade Building up Strengthening it why do i want to build it up why do we want to strengthen it why do we want to grow it because actually in our work to champion support social mobility it will give us the resources in order in order to do that paul i mean i've learned so
1: loads from from just talking to you and every single time that we we have a conversation there's always something so, something uh, just in terms of the the interaction that you've had with your chair and the the fact that you've come up with the idea of uh, you know how do we differentiate ourselves uh from, from all the others that are that are out there and the fact that you know we play to ourselves as a charitable organization, you know, hats off to you in terms of awarding these grants. I know you're oversubscribed and, and this year's been at yeah. a different level and and wish you good luck with, with regard to that. I would recommend to all our listeners, please do download the impact report. It's a fantastic, fantastic read. Uh it's not just numbers, not just facts and figures, a lot of stories there. There's a lot of people behind Uh, You know, it tells us some of the success stories and a lot of human stories within that report. And what I would also say is that the podcast is just on a different level. Professionally produced, a lot of interesting bits there. Good luck with the new series with regard to that. Absolutely brilliant the fact that you're doing that initiative. You know, keep doing what you're doing. You know, you're a torchbearer for the sector. You've given us a a lot of encouragement, a lot of support. and You know, you have been a... big massive ambassador but you've also been a critical friend when we needed it as well you've asked those tough and challenging questions and and thank you for that I wish you all the best in terms of uh, finishing off your Harvard Uh, when when is that when is that finishing Um, Uh,
2: my end uh, end of October beginning of of November the first week that that week I'm off to Boston to do the last one
1: we'll we'll keep an eye on your LinkedIn profile and congratulations within that and just in terms of some final thoughts from you if there's anything that you wish to share anything that you feel that I haven't asked that you say, you know what, Saf, you've not asked me this question. And I was wanting, I wanted to get this message across. So any thoughts on that? And, and I know and I just want to thank you uh, from my perspective, but please have the last word, if there's anything.
2: Last word. Um, <laughs> for me, you, you've, you've outlined kind of, you know, all sorts of things I've done. And for me, this is just me being me. We're here to make a difference, aren't we? And, You know, if we're not making a difference positively to people's lives, then what are we about? Uh, And whether that you're running a commercial organisation or whether you're running a charity, the difference you can make to people's lives in this part of the sector, uh, in the FE and skills sector, is really important. Because that's what we're here for. Uh, And I think sometimes it's just about rolling up your sleeves and getting on with it.
1: Well, thank you for your support. Thank you for doing this. Much, much appreciated. Thank Thank you.
0: Thanks to Paul for his insight, knowledge and time. Next week, Safraz will be in conversation with the influential leader, Jan Richardson, Chief Executive Officer of Occupational Awards. If you don't want to miss that, then remember to subscribe or follow us. If you're new to the podcast, let me tell you, there are already 67 other Canny Conversations podcast episodes out there. And you can listen to all those past episodes by searching for Canny Conversations on your preferred podcast platform or go to 1386audio.com forward slash have a listen. We'd also love it if you could review, subscribe, or follow the podcast, and please tell your friends and colleagues about us. If you'd like to know more, then go to cannyconversationspodcasts.co.uk, or go to Safraz's website, that's safraz.co.uk. Safraz has also written a series of easy to follow business books, canny bites these are available from cannybites.co.uk forward slash by the book as i said we'll be back next week with the first part of safras's conversation with jan richardson chief executive officer of occupational awards so until then we hope you have a good week
2: this is a 1386 audio production